Hello, and thank you for being here. I'm your host, Nathan Vincenti. This is Inside the Casting Office, a show where we finally get to know the people behind our favorite stars' performances and who gave them the chance to shine. For over 25 years, the late James Lipton gave us an invaluable insight into the processes and experiences of our favorite actors on his hit talk show, Inside the Actors Studio. As an actor, I always wanted to get interviewed by him and be given the opportunity to share my story in an interview that was more personal than any other I had ever seen. But what about those who give the actors the opportunity to be interviewed? I mean, when do the casting professionals get the spotlight? Those upholding and innovating the art of casting more often than not go unnoticed for the truly essential part that they play in creating the stories we love and cherish. These professionals and their unique processes are shrouded in mystery, but not anymore. Get ready to flip the script and take a look behind the curtain at casting professionals, the incredible work that they do and how they do it. This is inside the casting office. Today, it's my utmost pleasure and honor to introduce our first ever guest, and I'm so grateful for him agreeing to be the guinea pig on our show's inaugural episode. I'm sitting down with the one and only Nick Picaro, who is a New York City-based award-winning casting professional in theater, television, and film. Currently, he works as a casting associate for the legendary casting director, Judy Henderson, currently casting the very anticipated second season of Showtime, City on a Hill. He previously served as a casting assistant on season seven of the multi-Emmy award-winning Showtime series, Homeland. He has several indie features in various stages of production and development, and his most recent off-Broadway play, Donja R. Loves One and Two at the New Group, was announced as a New York Times critic's pick. This past year, he won his first Ardios Award for an outstanding achievement in casting for his work on New York Theater's Daddy, written by Jeremy O'Harris, starring the Alan Cumming, and was also nominated in the same category for casting Char White's The True. Now, Nick, did I miss anything? How are you? Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much. It was really a lovely intro. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. You've done some awesome work, and, and I think it's about time that people hear about it. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm relaxed. I am getting a lot of sleep lately. You're in uh, New York City, right? I am in New York, yeah. I stayed. Oof, ghost town. It is. It's weird. Although it's kind of become this sort of like Carrie Bradshaw version of New York where you can <laughs> kind of walk down the center of the street and no cars come. Like, Oh, that must rooms. be awesome. <laughs> great for Instagram pictures. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, well, I want to start at the beginning because I don't know how one would get into casting. I mean, it's not something that they teach in schools. It's not really something that I know that there's a degree for. I know you have a BFA in theater studies from Emerson. So how do you go from being a born and bred New Englander and, and going to college for theater studies and, and then now working for one of the most premier casting offices in, in the city? Yeah, being at the performance background, um, I did go to college. I actually was admitted for a BFA in stage management. You know, pretty early on, semester one, freshman year, I realized that that was not as creative as I hoped you know, that's a very technical job and it's crucial and so important, but just not something that I was particularly interested in. So I sort of uh, landed with the BA. My focus was in directing, but all during college, everything I was doing was performance related. That was when I was doing summer stock and doing the New England theater scene during the theatrical year. I would save up all my sick days so I could do the tech weeks that all like the adult working actors were doing just, you know, like, like we are now. I was, I, I did a 
two college shows and from there on out it was professional theater earning equity points and paychecks and and i there came a point when i realized that in order for me to keep doing musical theater it would be about moving to new york for as long as it took me to get a contract then going away for 12 weeks and doing it and then coming back and you know subletting an apartment and finding another yeah, the one. whole the whole thing you know? yeah the whole thing and so you know um i i think at that point i realized it's not what i wanted to do um i did not want to even if i made it on broadway you know six days a week that's a yeah, it's <laughs> tough spending time away from your family you can't really yeah, like, yeah. friends etc mm -hmm. like it's not a normal life for sure no, it's not. And, and, and uh, God bless everyone who does it, because obviously they're my most favorite people in the world. But it wasn't for me. And so I sort of threw a lot at the wall to see what stuck for a few years. And I think from there, I, I, I started to become more understanding of what the business was, how the industry works, mm. essentially. Um, I was uh, writing songs for pop hip hop artists, like on a team of, uh, of writers in the, a studio. I was modeling, um, I was doing commercial stuff, just uh, trying my hat at a lot of different things. And I, what ended up happening was, you know, with working alongside other performers, I was often being asked to like, oh, can we go get a coffee or sit down to lunch and talk about like my resume? Like, what do you think of this? Like, what do you think of my headshot? Like, do you think I should do this song? That kind of stuff. And it was, everyone was kind of asking me what we all ask casting directors. Yeah, you became a bit of like a whisperer for actors as to like what to go into the room with and how to present themselves. Yeah, exactly. And And through my experience, like, doing things like, like, you know, I used to go to Actors Connection and, and stuff like that uh, and, and try and meet casting people, mostly for commercials and stuff. Mm. Um, I, I, never really, um, I never really saw myself as an actor. I saw myself as a performer, singer, dancer, actor, last. <laughs> so I, I never really was dying to be an actor the way that the people on the things that I work on are actors. Right. Um, so everything that they were doing was something that I knew how to do and it was kind of like when the left and the right brain kind of click together and say this is how it all comes in this is where how you can satisfy all of your creative impulses some sort this, of like aha moment of being yeah like, I, and I think what it, it, the thing that made it the clearest was being able to take an objective look at myself and say this is not working what you're saying and what you're doing and who you are and your skill set is not lining up. You, you're not going to make that happen. You know, I knew what I sound like. I know what my mannerisms are. I know how I look. And at the time, the current movements in the industry weren't really taking place. Mm. So I just felt like it was going to be a constant uphill battle fighting against the type that people saw when they looked at my picture and what was actually going to walk into the room and I just knew that those pieces weren't going to add up, but I knew how to make them add up for other people. Especially for television and film, there's nothing like authenticity. Right. Or is there something like, like a moment where you were like, no, you know what, this, this is like too great to pass up. I have to do casting. Like this, this is a feeling that I can't give up. Once I understood what casting was completely and I began interning, I knew that was the route for me. I said, this is my place in the industry. This is where I belong. Now, I happen to think I'm very entertaining. 
<laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> but there's a difference between being entertaining and there's and taking on a role and bringing a piece of work to life and doing the work of an actor. I feel like I could have been a personality, mm. not an actor. Right. Something, something kind of like uh, like Ryan Seacrest or something. I think he'd be great. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it wasn't hosting, I, I don't know. Like it, it, and that's what I mean. Like this, there was like this secure. There was this like circling the drain of like what could I make work? And I was like, why am I doing this? I already know what I, what can work now. This make this is this is it for me. And now mm. this is what I want to do. And this is the career path that I want to take, following in the footsteps of everyone that has come before. Yeah, and you said that you, you started interning and you started working for other offices, but I noticed that you also spent quite a bit of time freelancing. So I'm wondering, when, when did you take that leap of saying, you know, I think I need to do this on my own and develop my own process and have my own way of doing things? And what was that like working for somebody else? And I know that now you're an associate. That might be a different relationship even than what you used to do at other offices. Judy was, is primarily, Judy is the only office I've worked for full-time. Um, I've worked with other casting people, like, you know, day jobs, assisting, that kind of thing. Lisa Rubenstein is a, is a friend and work, she's, she's great commercial work. And that was where my practical experience really began. And I sought the advice of Howie Meltzer who is an LA-based casting agent, a casting director. Oh my God, I just We're committed to talk about that. No, We're gonna talk about that. <gasps> so why don't, you, why don't you take a second and tell everybody why, because I know why you're freaking out about having just said casting agent. Oh, I it. hate that, I wanna kill it. Oh my gosh. Um, so we, you know, we've discussed briefly, and, and it's something that I was very unaware of before you had mentioned it, I now, call those that do what you do casting professionals because yeah, yeah. I've, I've, you know, I was told that again, casting agent, casting director, casting associate, um, they all mean very different things. And like we've just experienced, um, casting agent particularly has like a quite dissonant ring in your ear as to <laughs> describing what it is that you guys do. So why don't you tell me a little bit about why yeah, that's, not, would... that's not right. There's, I don't, I don't know what a casting agent is. I don't think there is any such thing. If some, if there is, please someone correct me. I don't know what that would be. There's a talent agent, and that's someone who gets work for their client. You know, a casting director doesn't get work for anybody. Mm. You know what I mean? A casting director directs the casting of a of a of a job. You know, in the industry, the relationship is buyer and seller. Casting director, buyer, agent, seller. That's where, where I'm not trying to sell them to anyone. I'm presenting talent to a creative team and saying, for this part, here are some people that I think would be great in it. You More know, like a, but, like almost like an art dealer, like a middle, like a very well-informed middleman that knows how to seek out and see quality and then propose options to a potential buyer of those, of that talent saying, you know, here's, you want to go in this direction, here's an actor that could really bring these colors, but then here's this actor that could do this. That's exactly rather, correct. Right, yeah. rather than being somebody that's like handing out <laughs> jobs or whatever. Well, well, the, well, the agent, anything of any age, real estate agent, you know, you, you get a commission on if someone buys the thing you're selling. If I present four actors to a creative team and they choose one, 
I don't get an incentive or a commission or something for getting that person apart. I'm hired for the job. The service mm. that I provide is helping a creative team cast their project. What's that like getting on a project that you want to work on or getting assigned a project that maybe you don't want to work on and now you're working on it and you're like, oh, well, I got to, you know, like all of us, like anybody that's working any kind of job, I'm sure there are days that are, you know, better than, than sex and other days that, you know, you, that could make you dread being alive. Yeah. Well, a great job is a privilege. You know, for all the years I spent throwing something at a wall, trying to see what would stick and find my place in an industry that I knew I was supposed to be a part of, when I began casting, everything clicked like that. Everything went, it, I was legitimized very quickly thanks to Judy's great reputation and the work she has done and the people who she's, whose stars she has risen. And the people that I've gotten to work with in my early years have been what you hoped for. I, I didn't have to do the office hopping thing. I was never anyone's full-time assistant. I, I, I started and I interned and an opportunity for me to fill the associate position came and I, it's taken off since then. And you know, a few years later, here I am. Getting, being able to work on great jobs because of Judy has been really excellent. And now on the other side of that, when I have done things on my own or any work that I've garnered through my relationships that I've brought to the office for she and I to do together, you know, there, it's sort of all, it's all comes hand in hand. You know, people come to you when they want you to raise the profile of their project as well. You, they, you know, people believe that you can help them get the talent that they want for their project and they kind of trade on your name and that respect. Right. Um, I mean, if it's Judy Henderson, there's a bigger chance of getting Brad Pitt than if it's so-and-so casting whatever who's done a couple short films, I'm assuming. Sure. Sure. Um, I don't think I'm quite there yet, but people know that I am talking to the players on in that particular ballpark. So I think that any work that has come to me is sort of like under that kind of premise, you know, it, it's all hopeful, you know, everything is pie in the sky until it starts to become reality and we start talking times and, and dates and dollars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a good day is when you have a project you believe in and you're the one that is being asked to uh, have a hand in making it happen. Well, it's, um, it's really good to feel wanted and desired, particularly when it's for, you know, your, your personal creative input and, and, and your specific way of doing things. And that, that, you know, that goes right into um, something that I think a, a, a lot of people would want to know, which is, you know, what makes that process particularly exciting and particularly attractive for you, whether it be the story itself or the players that are working on it, uh, make a project really stick out to you that that makes you say like hey judy like let's let's work on this or or that make you go the extra mile to push for getting to work on that project what what the, where it begins for me is the writing right because you're you're i mean you're performance based so you come at it from i'm sure probably something much more narrative than somebody else it's more like an entertainment industry casting director that's coming at it from more of like a commercial standpoint of faces and names, you're coming at it from more of a narrative and storytelling point of view. 
Definitely. And, you know, and that's why I love working on theater is at the same time that I work on film and television, because that commitment to the art form sort of like undercuts all the other stuff. You know, it's sort of like, it's like, it's constantly like, um, flowing through you this this desire to tell a story rather than like well i need a job let me just do this you know mm, what i mean like mm. think about or you know whatever the case may be you, you you still feel the desire to spend your time dedicating yourself to a story that you believe in or to characters that you want to see come to life so what attracts me like yeah the writing um because if it's snappy dialogue and i know i mean i'm i'm why work at Performers. So when I when it's sharp dialogue and uh, great scene work, that's what excites me because I know that I'll be able to find people who can do that justice and can strike the right tone. And it and, probably makes it easier to cast. I'm sure. I mean, like I know for me as an actor, the better the writing, the less work I have to do to to bring that to life. It's really just more so getting out of the way of it, and then you can really focus on the person and their intricate way of like acting, speaking, whatever that is. Definitely, and it, and it depends on what you're doing. If we're, you know, if we're attaching a name person, you know, a star or some profile, and it's going to be more of an offer than an audition situation, you want to feel confident when you send that script that you're not just dicking around with I, with unrealistic ideas. You want someone to like, you want to, I want to hit that send button and say, I think they're going to have a good read. I think they're going to enjoy this. If you can get someone engaged on something, it may not work out, but if they are engaged or if they like it and, they, and they've read it, at least they've given the time to the piece. You know, there's always a, um, a polite way of turning something down if it, you're not interested in it or, you know, a couple pages in, you're not that it's not good or whatever. Um, I like to work on things that I feel confident about, that I feel people are interested in. Um, and so if it's not that, if it's more of an audition situation, we're going to be seeing people for it, then you know that you're going to have a rewarding experience in the room. You know, you're going to see actors come in, do their thing. You'll be able to have a creative discussion with them, give them some notes, talk about it, adjust, work on it. And it some will be choices. Right. It's, <laughs> that's like what we do, why we do. And that replicates more of, you know, the, the rehearsal process, I guess, in a theater. Uh, the situation you know you you want to spend time with a piece of work oh yeah and, oh yeah you know, and yeah. i and i do too even when it's something that's a quick job you know you mentioned that which is that you like to take your time which i'm i'm assuming can either be something that you have a luxurious amount of or otherwise have like no time for um you know as actors will often get you know three scenes four pages each the night before and need to come in the next day and they're casting you know very very quickly or otherwise it's a process where you audition and maybe six months later you hear back oh hey you know actually we're moving forward with this process so what's that like where sometimes you have more than enough time to make all the decisions and really take the time with that material to identify who you think is going to be best for that job and what's it like when it's it's more of a quick turnaround and and they require you to have it cast on like a on a deadline i would say generally speaking if it's something that's actively auditioning where we're doing hands-on casting right seeing people in the room and like you know doing callbacks and that kind of stuff that 
there won't be as much of a um, a lag between that when that person is seen and when we hire them. Sometimes there is, like last season on Homeland, they had to do a lot of schedule shifting and three continents were involved. And this season, was, the production period is extended by months. Um, and so people who were being seen back when we were casting episodes like one, two, three, um, their work didn't end up getting a shot until we were shooting like 10, 11, 12, because, you know, just the needs of production. So it right, does right. happen, but I, I would say in a, definitely for, t at least for TV, you can count on that, on that, on you knowing pretty soon after, and usually for film too. When you have time on your side is the case of working on an indie film right now and it's a biopic and um, it has to take place at a certain time of year and um, we do have um, a great name engaged and that person wants to do it from the time they read the script at the time they were able to meet the director some weeks went by there were the holidays because we knew that like okay if we work on it this in the fall we can't go till july anyway right you know, might as well you know there is time right let's focus on the right person and they made it happen and that person is wants to do it and said they want to do it so we're really thankful there um same thing with some of the plays that we're working on you know this is a sort of weird situation because all we can do is talk right but, right you know at least at least the luxury of time allows us to go through a long list of you know 27 pages of names for people that we want to put in this play and you know sit down as a group and say yes no yes no it's an interesting thing for for people that you work in casting having all this time whereas usually you know it's go 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 project to project and i don't know how much time you guys have the luxury of the ability to meet new actors and new faces and go through those long lists, like you said. So it must be, if anything, like a breath of fresh air I'm, to really have the time, at least with the projects that are still moving forward for you to like really be able to like see every option and turn over every rock. Um, yeah, that's very true. I mean, especially with City on a Hill, th that show um, moves very quickly. You know, as much as you want to, cover it and really see everyone that could be right for it or really go through all the submissions and all of the um you know it pushes and inquiries about it and, and really give everyone the time of the day uh you just don't have enough time in the day to do that so that's when your skill set comes in really that's when the artistry takes place and that's when your knowledge and creativity come into play because if there's a part that you know i know well like you know the demographic that i know well i i can think of it off the top of my head you know well city on a hill is a is a new england based show i mean i know that they shoot some in in mass and some in new york but it's a new england based show and you're from you know born and raised in new england so that must make it a much easier process for you i mean those are characters in a place that you know super well is that something that you've been able to use? And is that like a new thing for you to feel like super connected and very knowledgeable on like the place and the people that you're casting? Oh, definitely. Um, the, it, that was all that we, so many of us said when we finally were able to come together, like at the premiere and the wrap party and see each other after just, you know, emailing for months, you know, the creatives in the show and us being able to add that local flavor and you know, having that kind of like uh, screener 
of authenticity has been huge because we are the production is based entirely in New York. There are every you know a couple times we've gone up to Boston for a couple of days of shooting, but it's shot here, it's cast here. We're dealing with New Yorkers and. A lot of stereotypes going around from New York to New England, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, New England and Brooklyn and Long Island and Staten Island accents, not quite. Not exactly not the same, no, no. It's also been, that's been exciting too because there are people who like are, you know, have, have had long careers and you discover during this process, like, oh, what the hell? They're from, you know, you know, situate. I did not know that. You know what I mean? They, you Look find at this guy. What? He's from Quincy? How? Since yeah, how did I not know this? <laughs> right. And so then you want to like push for them even more because you you know that when they get on set and they're talking to the writers and they're talking to the director and they're talking to you know the the uh, consultant and stuff, they're going to be able to have that shorthand and that understanding. Right. It's only going to be good. It'll bring it to life on camera for everyone at home. I mean, it helps to be speaking the same language, that's for sure. There's definitely some times in New York where you, you think you're talking about the same thing and, and actually they're saying something completely different. I have no idea. Oh, okay. And like, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Cool. Well, moving on. Um, <laughs> Boston's a place that people really have a pride about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got some friends from Boston, and they're they're definitely Boston proud. That's for yeah, sure. yeah, and and I mean that that has happened a few times. So I'm like, you know what? I know they're gonna like this person. Let's make sure they see them. Mm, mm. You know, and and you you end up making some some friendships and new creative partnerships happening. And that must be great to get to do, especially you know recently. I'd say probably even in the last five to 10 years, but I mean, definitely in the past, what are we, 2020? Okay, so definitely in the past, like, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 years, this movement in casting of getting to a place where we are seeing more authentic representation of different ethnicities, different religions, different, you know, colors, you know, different cultures, um, minority cultures, and, and the LGBTQ plus community getting the representation that they deserve and that they, that they need for, you know, children of all kinds, races, and, and types to be able to see themselves on the screen or within the hero, heroes and heroines that, that they, that they love. And is that, is that some, so, something that you feel personally responsible for? I mean, the best person for the job is from New York, but like this person's gonna bring uh, a New England authenticity that I know you, know, you, can't, you just can't buy you know, or can't train into somebody. Where, you know, where do you fall on that line where somebody's right for this part, but this person is of this culture or comes from this background that provides a level of authenticity that you know that the audience is going to appreciate where you know where does that leave you i think it's important i think it's really important to do everything you can to at least be inclusive of casting you know choices rather the people that you you see for the part um for instance when it comes to accents right let alone the discussion of of race and ethnicity let's say we're keeping it within Caucasian culture. If I am casting a girl from England and I see American actresses for it, if I see, if I bring in some girls who are from England, I am drawn to them more because it's authentic. It's not an American doing an accent. We have access to the world in this day and age. Mm. So why cast, like if I have to cast, 
note Russians like we did um, all season seven of Homeland. Why would I, you know, not why make someone work to put on an accent that you can just have somebody already have? Right, makes it right. so much easier for everybody. Right. My first step is to go there first to find the the act the, the Russian act community in within my pool of actors and then broaden it from there. I think we did that pretty successfully. I think that race obviously is something that that's something we can see with our eyes. And so let's make sure that everyone has an opportunity the way that others have had opportunities for, for so long since, you know, this business began. What, where it gets tricky is the LGBTQ plus community because there's constant conversations about, you know, once a, a gay actor comes out, like we can't really see him as straight or, you know, all these straight guys are winning Oscars for portraying gay characters. Right, right. And so forth. I think it's your responsibility to make sure the community from where this story comes from is represented. I also think that the best way to tell a story is with the best storytellers. Totally. So it's, let's see everyone and find the person who's best for the part. I, I try not to limit myself from saying, well, they're not an authentic Russian speaker, so I'm not even gonna bother looking at them. Mm. Oh, they're not gay, as far as I know, you know? In fact, with um, Donye's piece, one and two, in the liner notes of the play, he says, please, period, please, period. Cast some, at least one actor who is HIV positive. Wow. Request. It's, it's his story and, and, and that is so much a part of, of um, who he is. Um, however, that's not something we can ask. You know, we can't ask ages, mm. we can't ask ethnicities, um, we can't ask about sexual orientation, we certainly can't ask about health status, you know? So you do your best. You know, we, we and what did we do? The new group partnered with the National Queer Theater and we put, um, an open call out on social media and said, please send your materials here. I mean, it's the gift and of having the internet and having, you know, globalization make, yeah, like you said, people of all different cultures, races, backgrounds, and sexualities available to you now at your fingertips, literally. Right. And it can be up to them to disclose what they want to disclose. So were we successful in that earnest request? I'm not sure. I'll never know, you know, unless the, one of the actors right. worked share that with me right but the effort is made and then you find the best performers for the piece definitely and and you've gotten to work now on on several projects with judy um but you personally definitely don't shy away from from working on things and i think it comes from your personal performance-based background of telling stories with importance with value with a message things that deal with you know social issues that are of a current and poignant uh, topic of conversation. I want to talk a little bit about Daddy with Alan Cumming, just because it's such an awesome piece of work, and Alan Cumming is such an important 
part, particularly in New York, of the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, he has his club, Club Coming, which is constantly giving opportunities to LGBTQ plus artists and such as my boyfriend artists. who has a monthly show there. Really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Please plug up. it for us. Uh, Matthew Krasno and Courtney O'Donnell have a monthly show at Club Coming called Hot Cousin. They're stand-up comedians and they pack it in. They've had um, a show there at least once a month since I think November or December. And they had, you know, pretty much the rest of the year lined up until this happened. So check it out when they come there back. There you go, Michael at, at Club Coming. Um, that's every month, you guys. And, that's right. and, and they're, they're packing heat is what I hear from, from Nick. So <laughs> definitely check it out. But what was that like? And, and you talked about too, if these shows, particularly in theater, you're making offers rather than auditioning. What has that been like working on projects like Daddy, like Maplethorpe, uh, like One in Two with people like Matt Smith with Alan Cumming, where you're, you're, it's a project that's so intrinsically attached to the message that it's portraying and so linked to the face of that project, whoever's attached to it, and, and how that changes things when working on something like that. Yeah, so like with, with The True and with Daddy, right, Edie and Alan uh, came with it, you know? That's the beauty of working in nonprofit theater, especially when it's been around for two decades, is that you know, so many New York performers begin their life in the theater. There's a fantastic write-up about um, founder of um, American Place Theater, who just passed away um, at 93, and it listed everyone, you know, the, either graduates of, was it, Neighborhood Playhouse? That sounds about right. Yeah. New York is where everyone cuts their teeth. Yeah. Theatrically speaking, anyway. Um, and... They, there's that 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 attachment. You know, people people always want to. If you, if you if you come from the theater, you always want to do a play. You always want to come back to it. I think, anyway. So, you know, people like Edie and Alan can go on and have amazing careers doing huge, huge projects, and like would love to come back and dedicate three, four months of their time to do nonprofit theater. If anything, crave it and, and mm -hmm. go, you know, months shooting projects on sets, wishing that they could just be in a rehearsal room doing a play. Um, yeah. And I know that now it's, it's even become like a bit of a trend to bring in, you know, film and television celebrities um, to come in and do uh, theater and musical theater in New York on Broadway because it is such a rite of passage. I mean, one of my favorite instances of that is Brendan Urie coming in on Kinky Boots because like you take one of the most gifted vocalists and, and pop legends of our time and you put him in a Broadway show where he gets to do his pop belt like like it's nothing to like eight shows a week and and you and plus it's interesting to get to see artists and like dabble their toe in like a totally different art form because it's it's a craft on its own um, and it and, and New York theater has been I mean, you know, if you want to do theater, like you want to go to New York, you want to go to Broadway. Like that's, you, you said yeah. it, like if you had gotten. When, when, when lightning strikes, it's a beautiful thing, but that, that can also play uh, in the opposite direction too. Really? So, so getting back to the first question, when you have someone of that, on that level, you have to bring them people who they can go toe to toe with. You know, you have to have someone who can match them and can sustain a performance alongside with him. When you have these 
these particular performers um, are theater trained. And so they can perform eight shows a week and sustain two hours of live theater in front of an audience. I mean, Edie never left the stage except to, you know, make costume changes while walking off to walk right back yeah. on. When you're the focus of the show, you know what I mean? So that requires, you know, a great talent and a real mastery of the craft. Um, sometimes you can take a risk on someone who you think might be a good name, financially speaking, and um, put them in a, a you know, big, uh, commercial production and backfires because they 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 can't they can't do it they can't sustain it or if they do end up doing it you know somehow the 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 great talent that we see perhaps on screen doesn't translate so well to the stage um you know i feel like so many people talk about how it's so hot you know so hard to get musical theater performers uh, or theater performers like do film and television work because they're so big, they're so broad, they project and all that. It, it works exactly the other way too. If you don't have someone who has a, that, that, um, that mastery of the craft, they're, they're not going to be able to sustain a live performance for hours on end, night after night. For totally, months. and it's a different awareness too. I mean, it's, it's been, a, as somebody who started in musical theater and now does primarily film and television, it's been a, it's been a an interesting um, challenge to get what, you know, as a theater performer, you know, you're both in the story, but also an active storyteller where you have to like bring the audience along with you and you're almost kind of aware of them the whole time and, and playing everything to them and making sure that even the, the person at the back of the house hears and is aware of all of the nuances that are going on. Um, exactly, yeah. Is there a production or, or an actor that you've particularly, that think particularly made that leap um, really well? I mean, I got to, I know I got to see, um, Denzel Washington in the Iceman Cometh when he did that on Broadway. And he, I mean, he, you know, Denzel comes from the theater and he was just as riveting to watch for four and a half hours in the Iceman Cometh as he is to watch in, you know, any of the films, phenomenal films that he's been a part of. Um, is there any performance like that or that you've, that you thought was particularly successful or particularly unsuccessful well, actually, I mean, from two plays that I did, um, for Daddy, I would say Tommy Dorfman. Um, Tommy Dorfman is best known for his role on 13 Reasons Why. And to my knowledge, I, I don't know, I, I can't recall his professional theater experience. Um, I, I think he may had, have done, you know, some theater as we all do, maybe community-wise or whatnot. Um, and if I'm forgetting something, sorry, Tommy. But he really entrenched himself in the process and from his audition to his callback to uh, what I saw when I went there opening night, he really, he really took an artistic journey and it was very successful. And the same for Happy Talk, the Jesse Eisenberg play. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. It. Jesse is such an incredible mm -hmm. performer. Oh my God. Yeah. We were going to, or, or they had been trying to get, you know, B.D. Wong to do it opposite Susan Sarandon and um, uh, Marin Ireland. Um, but B.D. ended up getting Jurassic Park 5. <laughs> so, yeah, which, um, you know, 
it's a pretty franchise to be a part of, of, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, I'm sure he would have done it if the schedule was lined up, but, um, you know, the artist director, Scott, called us one day and said, I need, you know, it's it's an Asian guy, um, you know, 30s, 40s, could be 50s, whatever the case may be, age isn't as big of a deal, just not young. And, you know, he needs to be funny. And, And I, he's like, maybe we should start auditioning people. And I said, what do you think of, uh, Nico Santos, who I know from Crazy Rich Asians, as does everyone. And if you watch um, Superstore, big part in that as well. Yeah, hilarious. I don't think he had ever done a play, but he does stand up. So he knows how to react. Live theater. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we went for it, and Scott looked at his materials and said, Yeah, let me have a conversation with him. I want to talk to him. Like, they had a great conversation. Nico did it. And when I showed up to that opening night, he was absolutely wonderful. And a beautiful breath of fresh air in um, a, a sort of a dark show. And that, as a casting director or as a casting professional, must must be be such a cool moment, you know, like to to give either an unknown actor like a, a big opportunity, or even to give an actor that's never done something like what they're about to do the opportunity to like show a part of themselves that they haven't gotten to show before and then having having it be so successful it's like finding diamonds in in the coal mine definitely and you know in 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 that particular case i I felt like i had done good because (laughs) you're done good no what there was no submission there was not there was nothing for you know a manager an agent to like push it just I heard it, I read it, the idea came into my head, and when he ended up getting it, the manager called and said, I just wanna say thank you so much for taking a chance and thinking outside of the box. This is, you know, people don't do that. They say, oh, you're you're a funny character actor, that is who you are, that's right. what you do. I love repurposing people's talents into different dramatic elements. I love, love when comedians do comedy. I'm sorry, when comedians do drama, rather. Mm. Comedians come with a point of view. They come with a slant on the situation. They already have like a, a process by which they're, you know, they, they, they uh, deconstruct life. And give them a script and some of them just really take it to places that you hadn't thought of or, or even if you didn't think of it, it was, it's unexpected choices end up happening. And it, it really can be beautiful. You, totally. you do have that material in, in the back of your mind, but then if it's not landing or if it's not working, you have to find a way to shift yourself on a different train of thought. Reading the room, which is something that I know casting professionals talk about a lot, especially because there are so many different casting offices, which all have their own unique process, that are own unique requirements. What is the importance of, of an actor reading the room and coming in and, and getting a feel for you and getting a feel for what you're comfortable with, what kind of room you run, um, and what are some best practices, tips, do's and don'ts that you like to give actors, obviously coming prepared and doing the work and making a choice, but also leaving room for you? The room that I run, that I learned from Judy and Kim, is a warm and welcoming one. And it's one where you spend time and actually, you know, get to know the people that you're with. You know, this is always an extenuating circumstance. Sometimes you just don't have time to like really ask everyone how their day is and engage them in some topical conversation. But a lot of times there is. Apart from just of, of doing all the work that an audition involves, 
just, you know, my advice to actors is really just go in there being normal because no one is going to ask you to come, especially not in New York. No one wants to talk to anybody. Are you kidding? You know what I mean? Like, if I don't have to see anybody, I'm not going to, God. So, like, to invite you to come and spend 10 minutes of an, of an audition time face to face and yeah. work together, we want you there. We don't bring anyone who we don't think can get the part. Every single person who walks in that door, you hope that they're the one that knocks it out of the park. God, you better hope, because then, you know, your 12-hour day becomes a two-hour day. Totally, and then it's a good, then you start to question your own taste. It's like, what was I thinking? Why wasn't I able to find this person? What am I missing? What didn't I nail? When you send five choices to a team and they say, no, none of these, and you send five more, no, none of these, and you end up getting up to like 15 people, you're like, what am I missing? What information don't I have? Where Where is the roadblock in my understanding and my interpretation of what's happening in the scene with this person? You want your people to do great. So if you're an actor coming into an audition, the assumption is that you are great. So to answer the second part of your question is the talent is the expectation. You're there because we think you're talented. Or I'm hoping that you are going to be because I don't know you well enough. But the point is that I'm not going to come, to, you're not going to come into the room to find me being a C plus casting professional. You, the expectation of you as an actor walking in the room is that I know what I'm doing and I'm going to steer you in the right direction, right? Same thing. There have been times when people have not done their homework and have not done their research or have made, made a choice that is just so wrong. I've been in the room where people have made offensive choices that no one wants to be on the receiving end of that. I, that's not a chair that I want to sit in and watch. Do you have any really great moments of like either being shocked by an actor or a choice that you just thought would never work going a, an incredibly long way? And then on the flip side, which I'm sure, you know, probably stick out a little more, kind of much like a sore thumb, instances where, you know, you have been offended or there's been some off color, out of touch comments or even performances or choices or war stories in, in, these, in these audition rooms. You know, you're getting these like borderline sociopathic people coming in doing acting, you know? Yeah, sure. my, I think it's still to, it's my favorite audition experience so far was Mark O'Brien's callback for City on a Hill because not only did I get to act with not only did I get to act with I had to read okay let me like so what happened was Michael Cuesta came Michael Cuesta auditioned him in his like final callback I think he did two or three tapes and then we had him come in the room and Cuesta's here so he came down so it was Judy Cuesta me and Mark O'Brien so I'm reading with him but the scene is from the pilot episode and it's it's frankie and jimmy sitting in the truck after frankie bails him out of jail and so quest puts me on camera with him i'm like here and like mark is where this book is and like i'm like this much on camera and so like you're just mark's as much performing as he is at this point yeah so like i'm back here and like you know like i'm talking to him like this you know and like setting the scene in that way so like you're focused on him i'm taking up 50 percent <laughs> right and who do you think quest had more notes for me you <laughs> <laughs> and he's like you're really good in there like grab him you know like slap him around a little bit and i'm like i <laughs> is this my audition or is this mark's audition what is who's, who's auditioning no. here but it was an absolute ball and there was a scene that ended up getting cut where he's like in the bar like singing and and like like you know, sitting on the top of a bar top acting like the king of the world. And, and it was, 
it was just such a blast because one of the best Boston accents comes from this guy from Canada who, like, I was looking at him, watching him, and I was like, I, I grew up with you. You could easily graduate high school with my brother. And it must be weird, too, being so aware of that person not being from the place that you grew up in and know so well and having right. the words come out of their mouth in such a unique way, like the people that you're from and that you grew up around. So, totally. So exactly. I, I right, and and it's just someone who who embodies it so seamlessly, where it's not a caricature, you know. Because there's also regionalisms, you know. It, someone from you know Southie doesn't exactly sound like someone from you know Rhode Island or something. And there's yeah. you know, yeah. and there's a Rhode Island accent, and there's a Maine accent, and and there's a Western Mass accent. So you know, when those people come in, you're always like, you've got it, like you've got the craft. And, and, and the talent, everything that I expect for you to have because you're here, but also be, you have, you, you bring something to the role that leaps it off the page and makes it a visceral experience. That almost like that X factor that people talk about. Mm -hmm. And that can go from co-star to series regular. That's just exactly the kind of barista that we need. So that's yep. perfect. It just brings the world to life. There is, I'll try and speak as vaguely as possible because this performer, I actually really, really do like. They're a good person. They have a great background, but it was just um, a, just a, a- Wrong place, wrong fire. time. Yeah. They were fairly new, but in the few times we had seen them, they were really strong, really, really strong. We brought them in for a director session. And so the director was there, the writer was there. One of the people from the producing arm was there and Judy and I were there. So this is a full, full house. You've got production team. This yeah. is like, you know, this is no longer matchsticks and lighter fluid. I mean, we're talking about bonfire level acting here. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, you know, the director sessions are important. That's when you, that's when you get the job. Yeah. Um, the character was for a gay person and this person does not identify as gay and their choice was the most stereotypical cliche like from head to toe Big gay like the eyes here like the syllabant s with the list the, the syllabant s i'm so happy you said it wow from head to toe the hip popping the like, whole thing the, the, list, all, right, you know, the right. it was so but i wouldn't even know why they would do that it just it didn't make any sense and you know me and the writer certainly identify with that group and i don't know if anyone else present does but that was what the thing is about and you have members of the community there and it was like if it weren't for our individual personalities like making it okay for like clearly everyone was like whoa that was terrible mm -hmm. um but you know you happen to have a very empathetic team it could have gone the entirely opposite way you could have done that for someone who that brought up really feelings of like bullying or or you know, something traumatic in their past and blacklisted you forever. But, you know, it happens. As an actor, you the last thing you want to do is go into an audition room and make a totally off-color choice or have read the thing completely wrong or even worse, in this case, borderline like offend the people that are represented by the story, the character, the message. And there's maybe nothing more mortifying than being in that situation where it's like, well, you just fucked up. Um, yeah. But I'm sure that it can't be 
any more comfortable for you on the other side of the table? How do you then go about bringing out something better from that person that especially that somebody that you've seen in the past do such strong work? How do you, you know, have the really difficult conversation of saying, well, that, that wasn't okay, but. Yeah. Well, in a director session, the director is really the one, um, you know, driving what's happening. You know, that they're the ones giving the notes. Sure. You know, decide once they're having their conversation, you bring the next next person in. Director's running the room. So we have a very gracious, very talented director who just let it happen. It was like, great, let's steer it in a different direction. Why don't we try this? And just gave him an adjustment. So it made the audition time worth it. May had him do something else. And then thank you so much. And then that was that. When I left work that day, I called the manager. I have a good relationship with the manager. I said, I just want you to know this is what happened. Mm. I think you should be aware of it. Manager's part of the community too. So I knew that this would fall on ears that would be open to hearing this right. kind of thing. I right. knew I was starting a war. So, and he was really thankful for that. And he said, do you think that this is like a, like a, a burnt bridge situation? I said, absolutely not. You know, I was like, could it have been in a different room? Definitely. So that's why I'm calling you. In this one, no. So oftentimes, and I know that, that I experienced this on what is probably a daily basis you know people put their feet in their mouths i mean like people say the wrong thing or or make the wrong assumption and um oh, yeah for sure i mean all these i mean i do a lot of q a and a lot, a lot of you know and workshops that i teach and i get put on the spot and especially i mean literally in the audition room i if i see something i have to immediately come up with the words that create the adjustment that i'm trying to convey so totally. that and can understand it and make it happen. So you, it's a lot of on the spot thinking. No one's perfect. You know, I, I probably think I'm much more articulate than I actually am. And, you know, so it, it does happen. But when it's a prepared choice, you know, you just think that you, it's, it's so important to do your homework. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And know, and know the people in the room because. You right. Know, and if you're going to be a storyteller, then you have to be out there like consuming storytelling. Like what, if you were to pick up any news article from any number of sources at that particular moment in time, you would realize the choice you're making is a tone deaf choice. Right. Has there ever been a time where you're watching a play or you're watching a TV show, you're watching a movie and as a casting director, I mean, I, I know as an actor, again, like if I'm watching anything, it's so difficult to disconnect the actor part of my brain from the Nathan is just enjoying and watching something part of my brain. And with any creative craft and profession, I'm sure that that, that feeling and that effect you know, carries. Are you ever left thinking, God, they just made the wrong choice. Like this person would have just been so perfect for that part. Ah, it's just so too bad that they wouldn't have. Is there any story in particular that you find the, the Nick Picaro brand could be really taken advantage of in casting that? Oh, that's a really good question. Gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, there have been some books that I've always been like, oh, I want to be the one to do that. I would, I would really love to work with Ryan Murphy, actually, because his work is so polarizing to me. I hate half of it, and I love the other half. <laughs> Which <laughs> half? <laughs> That's the question. Um, like, I loved Assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh. So good. My God. I'm sorry. We just need to take a moment of silence for that show, because... <laughs> 
Dude, Darren Chris, I mean, uh, like, I feel you so hard. I mean, like, Ryan Murphy, oh my God, Gianni Versace, him and Darren Chris, I feel like anything that they do together, whether that be Glee, whether that be Gianni Versace, or now with Hollywood, I'm just like, do it again. Take all my my money. You know what I mean? Like, you do what you need to do, you just do that. You know what I mean? With things like Scream Queens, I'm like, why would you do that? Like, why would you? hate it so much <laughs> why would you have done this to me Ryan? you know what i really i really wanted to give the politician a try because what i love about ryan murphy is that the cast that are assembled for his projects usually like have some kind of like real life like connection to what's going on in many ways it makes sense for that person it's like somebody to go oh yeah they're doing it they'd be perfect for that you know what i mean like something happened in their life that makes their involvement in telling this story you know significant and i I, he has like a sort of um he seems to be keenly aware of legacy and and context and those are things that i feel matter a lot to me when I'm making sort of namier choices. So long-windedly, what I'm getting at is uh, I tried to watch The Politician. I could barely get through the first episode because the first thing that I noticed was that all these kids are 10 years older than the ages they're supposed to be playing. And they're so mature and so sophisticated. And it's like, I get that this is kind of it's a little camp he's 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 camp you know i think that that's and that's great and like he has this like a lot of stuff is very splashy and and it's scandalous and 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 that's all great little fire is everywhere good like 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 70 percent, 75 percent. like i I liked it like you know i think like it it was like it was good i read the book i wanted to watch the show I love Reese Witherspoon. I thought it was so great. I thought she was so great. But you know, I was like, whatever, it was fine. A, a, a little, a little hammy, a little heavy-handed in some of the performances. But all the kids were authentic. 15, yeah. 16, 17, 18 year old kids. I, and I can't tell you how, as a young actor, it, it makes it it makes a difference. It makes it really, it really makes it a really difference. It really makes a difference. All the children on our show are the age that they're supposed to be portraying. Because you, you you can't, people's, their personal quality changes and their sensibility changes. And it's hard to like play past, you know what I mean? You're going to be too informed by, by who you are now. I mean, there are things that I don't know that I don't know because I'm like 20 years old that if I'm 31 and Corey Monteith and playing a freshman in high school, like, right. like I don't remember how I was when I was a freshman in high school, you know? Right, right. I, I, for me, that was like two days ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Me, not so much. Um, those kinds of things, I'm like, why, why are you doing that? Like, and maybe that, that's a different school of thought, you know, when people were playing like way older, you know, rom-coms of like the 60s and stuff. And like, these people are who are 40, what are they doing here? Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, 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 maybe that was just like a convention that's being broken on the subject of like authenticity that we want to go age appropriate too. I, you know, just more people have more access to uh, creative outlets and training that, you know, I, I know so many amazing child actors i pants off people twice their age i saw good boys with a group of like 10 of my best guy friends and we were all cracking up the entire time at these three kids i mean he's incredible 14 assembly yeah this is so great and and um oh god i can't remember his name um ian from big little lies and uh and sheldon yeah 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 
so, so good. And it's baffling to me when I, yeah, when I see a show like Riverdale get away with casting high school age, like 27 year olds. I'm like, and I'm like 20 and I'm like, yo, what's, uh, where, where'd that casting call go? Like, I didn't, yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't see it because it went over my head to the 30 year olds in the room. I felt the same when I was watching 13 Reasons Why. I was like, it's exactly the same thing. Like, there were some kids that were authentic and then there's some who weren't. And so when the ones who weren't were like speaking with the parents of the one who were, I was like, this doesn't match. Like you would be in a bar together drinking. You're yeah, not, right, you know, right. High school parent and kid. Yeah, that's, that's when I start to, I go, huh, now I'm not buying it. Now, now I can't invest in the story because it's, it's those kinds of things where I would say, I would totally do this, do this different. I would, you know, tell the story you're trying to tell with the people who are these people. What makes someone right for a part? And you talked about it. It's like, it's almost something that you can't really put your finger on. It's something that's kind of like more of an essence or something that's more like spiritual in nature than it is logical or rational. And that's what is so exciting, especially about the innovations in technology, like CGI, performance capture. And you talked a little bit about how you're a huge fan of animation. And I think that animation is absolutely one of the best forms of storytelling today and, and of all time. Some of the best storytelling has that's been done ever Japanese anime and Japanese manga in, in comic books in graphic novels up the first 10 minutes of up could have won an Oscar on its own you know what I mean Ratatouille the B movie I don't think you've gotten gotten the opportunity yet to work on something animation correct me if I'm wrong um no. what about that and the, the advances in technology that now have evolved what it means to be an actor and what it means to be right for a part is exciting to you looking towards the future of your career and getting to work in in a medium that you really enjoy, which is animation. I don't think I'll end up ever casting animation. Um, really? Because, yeah, I mean, it's voiceover acting. So much of it has stars in it, which is great. But, that you know, that's, it's it's not my, I don't, I don't think I would enjoy working on it. I don't know if I would know necessarily how to do that yet. I think that's a skill set I've yet to acquire and sort of like direct people with something that's going to be only heard and not seen. What we're doing is storytelling, right? It's it's matters of the heart. It's matters of the mind. It's it's about feeling. You can capture that beautifully with someone who is authentic to the type and is that person and is also skilled as an actor and can bring it to life and, and you know just lightning strikes. You can also be someone like Mark O'Brien who's from Canada and not from Boston and captured the essence of it and just is the part and it makes total sense and, and feels all the same things and then you can have animation which can bring pieces of emotion to life that humans can't it can materialize what's in our imagination that is why what we do there's no formula necessarily to it. you can follow some guidelines you can do what you can you can bring your piece of it to the table but it all has to line up for it to be a successful story how many times do you read reviews and it's about, well, thank God for this actor carrying this piece because the writing is terrible. They're making the most of what they've got or a clunky score with a great voice. And but, you know, otherwise too, it's like, you know, these words aren't being done justice by this particular performer. It all has to come together. So there isn't any magic answer behind how do I get seen? How do I get remembered? How, you know what I mean? It, it all has to come together. Just kind of like and, lines and, up. 
thanks to yeah. the universe and like the energy. I really, you know, I'm a big believer in energy. I'm not a very religious person, but spiritually, I definitely, one of my favorite movies is Avatar by James Cameron, because I think that the the Navi and, and their mode of spirituality is so beautiful, the way that they see everything and anything, even the air, you know, that surrounds your body as interconnected through the energy and the atoms that do biologically and, and, and scientifically connect everything. And yeah. a story, a piece of work, the people that are working on it, they all have to have this synergy for it to really work and for that to be the right person or the right time or the right story to be telling. And I'm curious, is there something that you feel makes the energy that the Judy Henderson casting office brings into a room or anything that's very specific ideologically about working at, at Judy Henderson or, you know, just being you that makes for a different casting experience than what you feel might be going on in other rooms? Like at Judy or, or that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's just, it's really with. Judy. You and Judy, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's me and her. We have fabulous assistant Shauna, who began as an intern and became our full-time assistant on Homeland and City on a Hill. And then we have our interns who come in and out um, quarterly. That's so much um, more intimate than what I would have thought for what I see as like an office that casts, you know, like, I mean, Homeland is one of the, probably like one of the top 20 productions and has been for the past six to seven years consistently. Yeah, well, I mean, what it is is people, a, a creative sensibility and a taste level that sort of complements one another and works well together. Before me, there were associates that had been with Judy for yearly intervals and, and Kim had been with her for a long time. And when it works, it works. And that's like anything. If Judy and I didn't see eye to eye or have the same kind of appreciation for things, we wouldn't be able to work together. It's less about a company and less about, because it's not when, when Judy, you know, passes on, that's the end of Judy Anderson casting, you know? Some people are like, you know, our corporation that, you know, like, like Telsey or whatever, like if Telsey were to pass away, you know, I think- Still gonna be called Telsey and Grant, right, right, you know? Right. When we all go, that's it. That's why we are creative pieces of the team, you know, like when a director dies, no more of those films get yeah. made. Yeah. You, you could have production arms, and I'm sure like, would they dissolve Lucas? into just disney once he's gone you right, know what I mean? right right so it, it that's that's what makes casting an art is that it's something that the individual has within them i think that informs their taste and their life experiences and the way they consume art and their emotional attachment and i you know I, you have like an emotional eye like like i i, I see something and I know what feelings we're driving at or how we can get there, what we're trying to convey. You can guide other artists along the way who, you know, that's why this is a creative process. Yeah, totally. To kind of wrap a little bit on this portion, I'm, I'm curious as to how the fact that we're on Zoom, the fact that there's currently a pandemic going on, uh, the fact that, you know, you can't go into a grocery store without a mask on, this whole coronavirus COVID-19 situation that we're all in and that we 
at this point don't exactly know when we're going to get out of how has that affected you personally professionally your day-to-day but also how you feel that's affected the industry and and where you feel the future of that industry is going to go whether you feel that things are kind of going to slowly get back to normal if you think that there's going to be you know a major shift in process and in how things are done and how casting is conducted i'm curious to hear your take well i think it's going to go back in phases but i I really do think that the performing arts are going to be in later phases. You, we cannot do what we do without being together. So I think it's going to require there being testing available on sites, on sets. Um, studios are going to have to provide like, you know, administers of those tests. I feel like the same teams of people are going to always have to be working together. So that if something contracts something, we can isolate the incident and take it from there. I don't know. I mean, is there going to be rapid testing that someone's going to stand outside of the theaters and make everyone like prick their finger or something? Yeah. Like, I just don't see how it's going to quickly happen. I think it's still months out. That being said, I don't think that the medium will change. If we are allowed to go back and we are allowed to put people on set together and people are allowed to work together, perhaps we just do producer sessions or you know, we do mostly self-taping and then we ask like a few people to come for a callback. Limit the in-person sessions. Skype sessions are already pretty standard. A lot over the last five to 10 years has evolved to the point where getting on a Skype call with a director and a producer, or even if it's for just a chemistry reader or whatever, is already pretty... Standard. Yeah, it definitely happens. I mean, we, well, I've, we've cast someone from a Skype audition before. I don't, it's not ideal for me. I think that this to me is a solution. It's not, it's not the new answer. It's, not it's, like, new a, it's like a Band-Aid, but it's definitely not a cure. No, certainly not. And I mean, like, same for me for self-taping, you know? Like, I'd rather be in the room for someone. Um, but if it's smaller parts and you don't need a reader with you and, like, you can sort of kind of get it done without having to take the time. Out of, no, it does like... make sense. It does make sense. So I think you have to be ready for all of it. But, yeah, I don't see this or I feel a drive to want to return to the way things are rather than accepting this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we're definitely going to push. I think people are, are craving personal connection. I know that you, you know, you teach online classes. I've definitely been taking them. There's something about just even human interaction. I mean, like, it's like in Castaway, you create a volleyball if you have no one. Right. Like, you will find your Wilson. And I think oh, that we're all, never thought I would say, but looking for an excuse to like, get back into a room and get stuck with somebody in person. And I think that that's, that's something that you consistently bring up being such an important part of this craft and the art of casting, which to you is something that is very personal. It's very interrelational and it's very about a chemistry and an energy that you feel in person. And is there any sort of like last words, personal manifesto of like, this is the art of casting and I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, your brave heart moment of, of defending <laughs> defending or speaking for your colleagues and, and your your craft and, and your art, which as I mentioned in, in the intro, is shrouded in, in mystery. It's something that I think for a long time hasn't been talked about, hasn't been cared about. There are no awards in major award season for casting. 
Um, well, we have the Emmy. We have the Emmy. You have, you have the Emmy um, now. That's right. Yep. You're right. We introduced the BAFTA this year, which is wonderful. And you have the Ardios um, Awards, of course, which you. The Ardios, well, the Ardios are our awards. That's like a SAG award. You know what I mean? It's our right. guilt. Um, the president of the Academy is a casting director. And that's great. I mean, I, I think we'll see it. I do. I think it's going to take longer in the theater world because theater casting people, we don't even have a union, you know, as union members in TV and film that we don't have that in theater. There's resistance there and it's a constant battle. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's not taught in programs. It's not something you can go get a degree in. Right. It's a talent. You know, I, I do feel that. I think you have to... I think you, you, how you inform or grow your talent is up to your personal experience. Like if you were a performer and then that translates into a career in casting or you studied playwriting or, and that translates into a career in casting, or maybe you had like an administrator or theater administration or entertainment industry administration majors and things like that. It might not be born out of your education. It might be born out of you grew up here in the city and your parents are huge fans of theater and you saw everything and that was your dream, you know? However, it's one of those careers I think that doesn't have a clear cut path. I think a lot of us crave things like numbers and um, steps to um, quantify what we're doing and help us get there. And it's not, it's, 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 I don't think that's what casting is. I think casting comes from your, your personal journey and how you apply that to someone else's creative work. It's not just us who work together. There's an audience. There is an audience for all of this. The whole point of this is for the rest of the world to consume it and have it be meaningful to them. I don't think that we will be seeing, you know, Brady Bunch squares of everyone acting alongside of each other and having that be a series. Right, right. I don't think we're gonna be able to have a special case where we like get 10 performers to be in a play and we film it and then air it and that's how we consume theater. I don't think that's the case. You need to be there. You need to be a part of it. You need to be doing it together. And that includes the audience. The audience is always the other character. In the Absolutely. Thing. They're an essential part of that conversation. And, and, that's, and that's something that is something that you have to learn is, is how do I get from this monstrous camera lens machine looking thing? How do I get that energy of like that simmer of like aliveness that comes from having anywhere from, you know, 10 to 1,000 to 10,000 people sitting in a theater, you know, like waiting for you to do your thing and like for everything to go well and not fuck up. There's like such a, oh, I can't, you know, like you can't like put your name, like, like you're, you can't put words on like the energy that's felt from either going to the cinema or going to the theater and being like one voyeuristic member of this like greater whole ready to consume whatever it is that you're totally. about to watch. You know, whether you're acting in front of the camera or acting in front of an audience on a stage, you, you know that your, your work is speaking to someone and it could become their favorite thing. You know, it could become the thing that matters to them or reach them at a time in their life when they needed to hear what you had to say or it informed them of something they didn't know about before. And it, or it could just be the escape. We all need that. Yeah, we all the entertainment. We all need it. And, and that's why you need to get out and go to it, to do it, get it inside your own home every single day. What else is in your home? What other bad influences are around you? People, things, you know, you, people need to be able to put on their shoes and go take a walk and consume. Right, literally a week before the shutdown, talking about privilege of working on certain things. 
Ethan Hawke gave Judy a call and said, we've got this, you know, screenplay and it's an adaptation of a play that we want to do. Uh, Jack O'Brien is directing and Jonathan Mark Sherman wrote it and I've got Laura Linney doing it and Bobby Cannavale and all these fantastic people who are New Yorkers and, and theater makers who have all done wonderful, amazing things on film and television. True, like, artists. And he asked her to set some people and she did and, and we went and we watched the reading and halfway through, Laura Lenny had a really beautiful story. She just, she was talking about, she'd done a, a play that was running during the holiday season. If I'm remembering correctly, I think she might've had like, just just like a little fatigue, just a little show fatigue. It's a one, one woman show and she was, you know, it's her every single night. And it was like, I think it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, maybe, maybe it was Christmas. And it was a Christmas, you know, she hadn't done a Christmas show in a while and she went to the box office. She's like, how many people are really here? Like, who's actually coming to see the show tonight? And they were like, a lot. And she was like, oh, is it like families and, and you know, tourists and things like that? And she goes, and they said, this is the time of year we sell the most single seats. Wow. Yeah. Because, like, there's that person that's alone that wants to be together. Right. Maybe, maybe they don't, and maybe they don't celebrate it. And that's what they do. They go to the theater that night and, and they, they immerse themselves in some work and they, escape and maybe it's not sad maybe it's a beautiful thing yeah maybe. yeah oh yeah and but maybe it is really sad and and it's always important for you to remember that you know know who you're doing it for know why you're there totally. and why you're up there it always before it is anyone else for an audience you know harry potter will forever be one of my best friends you know what i mean like exactly. not even like daniel radcliffe but like that version of this character got me through or like whatever story or whatever characters they get you through whatever it is like or or they teach you about yourself or somehow they teach you about someone else i don't know why i'm i'm getting emotional about it but it's just it's incredible the work that we get to do and that we're so privileged to get to be a part of like you said and that's why this show is so exciting to me because none of the actors that people love and cherish so much as these people that have gotten to that they've gotten to latch on to and see themselves within would get that opportunity and and sometimes like you said it takes an incredibly astute I, but also a feeling and a talent for placing someone in a position that nobody else would have put them in. To take somebody totally out of their comfort zone and just try it out because you had such a, an instinct as to their ability to bring something to that that would, that would make the difference. It's such an incredible thing when, when someone that does your job gives someone else the chance to do something that they could have otherwise never imagined themselves doing and then having, like, how incredible is it that you get to be a part of putting somebody in the position to change a life or to change lives like it's and and they're you know therefore by association obviously like you're you know you're you're changing little kids lives like you know like these these or or whoever it is or like some father watches somebody that you cast in homeland or in city on a hill that has a certain humanity that they can relate to and then empathize with and 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 realize you know maybe Maybe it's okay that my daughter wants to be a beautician and not go to school. Maybe that's what she's meant for. And I think that that's, that's an incredibly important thing, like the end goal, you know, like that, that final consumer, that one person that, that might be, you know, sitting there alone on Christmas watching this movie or this show or in this theater and how important it is for that person or that kid or that grandmother to get that sense from that piece which can only be brought by having cast it so well i want to thank you obviously for having been a part of it i know i i haven't been able to wipe the 
the smile off my face, no matter how much I've succeeded in doing so for the last however long it's been. I haven't really even looked at the time because it's just been such a pleasant conversation to have with you. And it feels only like the tip of the iceberg. And I'm so excited to keep getting to know you, Nick, as a person. And I want to finish with 10 questions, which uh, originally came from a show called Bouillon de Culture, hosted by Bernard Pivot, which is like a legendary cultural show in France. It really holds a very important place in our hearts. And, and he, Bernard Pivot, got that questionnaire from Marcel Proust. James Lipton, in his show Inside the Actor Studio, which obviously Inside the Casting Office is very much based off of, would use some of these questions to keep the legacy of those incredible interviewers alive. And I want to help do that as well. But I'd love to hear what you have to say. My about... story? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, when I was in... Uh college doing like my sort of like acting training thing I didn't get a BFA but I was taking acting classes um, and I would do like a one-on-one -on -one with um, one of the heads of the department and you know we just like monologue work like go I go like once a week I think and and we would do some stuff and he gave me um, a monologue from play the substance of fire and the first line for this character is publish hustler or publish Proust and then like something like I'm not buying it something like that and I said Proust and I, exactly what your reaction he was like <sighs> oh no he was like pretentious about it <laughs> I mean he's not wrong he was right I was like on this on the subject of being prepared and not you know wasting someone's time I was like at least know how to pronounce the goddamn Thing. you survived exactly you survived <laughs> that experience and you and and you give people like me who say eddie instead of edie the opportunity to to learn rather than well with the last name like mine you have a lot of sympathy for people which by the way you nailed is it italian or is yeah, it... it is italian i did i'm sure that there was another like another c or an h or something in there to make it the hard c um because you know uh, ci is chuck <laughs> i was sweating my palms were sweating yeah. i said today we have Nico Picaro, of course, <laughs> who I know how to pronounce his name. Absolutely. You got um, it. So these 10 questions, they're short and sweet. You can give as much context or as little context as you want. It can be one word. It can, or you can give a full explanation. Totally up to you. They are both very vague and very specific, which I, which I like. And <laughs> I will not be answering them unless you ask me to. So those are like the rules of the game. The first question is, what is your favorite word? Wonderful. Wonderful. I like Wonderful that. Wonderful is my favorite word. And what is your least favorite word? I hate even saying it. Ugh. Armpit. I saw that in your email. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, I hate, I, hate, I hate bodies so much. I hate body parts. I hate, <laughs> like. And you're one of those people that, like, hates feet, that, like, you put your feet away, like. Never need a foot. Um, always have to turn my face and like any medical thing. I hate blood. I just, bodies are so disgusting. <laughs> They're gross, dude. They're just sacks of bones and liquid and weirdness. Ah, I can break at any moment. <sighs> you know, I always, I'm not going to lie to you. I have a problem with people who don't like the word moist because I- Oh, it's feel, a great word. I love that word. And it's, it's the, it's such a phenomenal word and nothing quite describes something that is moist like the word moist. 
and I, I blame How I Met Your Mother for having created this narrative that this word is not good. That's um, probably true, but I'm going to thank Betty Crocker and Duncan Hines for keeping it in, you know, the, the, the vernacular of the average American. moist chocolate cake. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, What's your favorite word? My favorite word right now moist. is right Right now, maybe it's moist, honestly. I would say right now, yes. My favorite word is moist, absolutely. <laughs> There's an opportunity for an insecure kid to get a syllabant S with a T on the end of it. <laughs> there you go, there you go. You know, and it's so funny that when you said syllabant S, um, the, first, the first two things I thought of were Boys in the Band, which I saw on Broadway so Revival of recently, which literally destroyed my entire life. Left the theater a, a babbling mess, and I saw it with my mom. But I, I've always found so fascinating because actually Marcel Proust himself, who came up with this questionnaire, um, when he was asked in the original questionnaire, one of the questions was, what is your definition of misery? And his definition was to, to never have known my mother. Wow. And and I found that so interesting because Proust is famously bisexual, like very sexually liberated. And and you, you know, you talk about the connection between um, a homosexual male and his heterosexual female <laughs> idol, his mother. You know, as somebody that people consider metrosexual, which oh, I know very I mean, much. I consider myself a mama's boy. I know that like my favorite people are usually mama's boys, that are men at least. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. I prefer the term stylish versus metrosexual. Style is probably my second favorite word. But uh, well, you know what they say: is he gay or European? And I am French. <laughs> so. There is even a song about it from the musical Legally Blonde. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> I love a mom. Anything with a mom and anything that's about a mom, it can be like like the schlockiest, like stupid thing. It could be reality TV. And if it's like a mom going through something, it just like hits me in my core. There are, there's the, the correlation between gay men and their mothers. I'm literally, I just... I'm about to do a play about it. The, the, like, there's always like these jokes, you know, like like drinking game parties or whatever, standing around talking. It's like you are your mother's first name. Like, I'm such a Lisa, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know. Oh, um, so, but like, I always think, and I and I love like my favorite parts to cast are like middle-aged women, like women like late thirties up like late 30s to 60s and there it's like my favorite you know it's where all, all the icons are you know what i mean but it's also like every, i don't know there's just something about that journey I, i'm so drawn to all films about women in that space for whatever reason um but i always think that a gay man is like is like is that the woman that he's pretending to be is like exactly 20 years older than if you're like an 18 year old boy and you're like graduating senior you're really a 38 year old woman like ready to hit the town with like you know what i mean <laughs> that's such an incredible that's such an incredible comparison i'll have to i'll have to ask my mom all the ways in which i might be a dominique i don't know yeah hey that's that looks perfect on you and it's so you know what i mean who knows well. maybe and maybe it is that's so that's so that's so interesting <laughs> that's so interesting and and speaking of people and the people that you love most what is your favorite quality in a person my favorite quality in a person i love anyone who like like a, uh, uh, an innocence my high school mentor 
in our AP Lit class early on, at the, at the start of the year. Well, I don't know what we were talking about, but he said, never lose your innocence. And I feel that, and I've carried that with me a long way. I, it, you, you know, the world is hard enough and you're going to have obstacles thrown at you and things you can't even imagine. Like, I'm not even talking, when I say obstacle, I'm not talking about like meet someone and possibly get divorced. I'm talking like obstacle, like my credit card had, was charged in Florida and now I can't buy anything until the next one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you're going to be inconvenienced. You're going to be challenged. Um, you're going to be annoyed. Um, you're going to be heartbroken. And it's like, if you can carry what you, and hopefully you had a nice childhood because so many don't, but if you can carry with you even a shred of what life was like before you were made to see the world for what it was or before that growing up moment, and you're able to carry some of that with you, you'll always know what happiness is. It may not be with you all the time. It may not be something that you have easy access to. But if you can access it, even every once in a while, I think people's attachment to their to whatever innocence they have left, I think is my most favorite quality in person. I think what I'm at, what I'm saying is someone who is fun, someone who's carefree, because you can't be carefree. It's impossible to be carefree. No one is carefree. But when you can be, and you can bring that out a bit, you can at least have a beautiful moment. Totally. One of my favorite songs is a Frank Sinatra tune that pretty much every crooner in the world has done their own take on, which is Young at Heart. And it's oh, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely true with what they say. I mean, you're there's there's nothing better that in the world to get to the end of your days and have and have remained, you know, young at heart. This sort of like Peter Pan syndrome that I know I definitely have been infected with. It it just makes things more fun. I think that fun is like is is maybe fun i think might be my favorite word actually because i think that that it's it's something that you can find in everything i think that it's something that like is a necessary ingredient kind of like love to something being delicious like fun is is a necessary ingredient to anything being great and and, and, and but you and you also you repurpose it as you grow up i'm not i'm not afraid of of growing up i've already done a lot of it there's so much more to go and you keep doing that until the day you stop growing, which is when you stop breathing, you know, you, but I'm not resistant to anything like that. It's keeping a piece of it with you. It's finding what fun you can or finding the, the unadulterated side of you and, and allowing that to come through because inevitably the world will come down on you, you know, and that's, and that's not something to be afraid of, you know, it's just a fact. Absolutely. And I'm wondering how you do that, which goes perfectly into the fifth question, which is what turns you on creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? And as an addition to it, what turns you off? What turns me on? Um, I mean, <laughs> that's a whole other question, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what, I mean, <sighs> Like I said, I love a story, but I, I guess the reason maybe why I love a story about a mom is because I think that's one of the most complicated roles anyone can play, not just in a script, you know, in a, in a piece of work. But in um, life, in, in life. the story of in, life. Right, because you, you're so much self-sacrifice and somehow even apart from the birth, the biology of it, the chemistry, there's something that is in women that is not in men, I think. There's something in women that make them stronger and more layered and more their 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 emotional life is more um amorphous than a male or at least 
based on everything that uh, you know anthropology has, has has developed so far. Maybe in the next you know two to five thousand years, we'll see a change. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's it's the kind of love and self sacrifice and your children are constantly holding a mirror up to you, I think, in a way that men don't have that for some reason. It's being a woman is, is, I mean, women are the strongest people on the planet. And even when you bring it down to earth and you bring it down to like the tangible, it's like the, the kinds of fighting and the, and the sort of um, disagreement and, and, and uh, difficulty that, that is the, mother and child relationship versus the father and child relationship is just so much more intricate. And uh, I think a woman constantly has to be so much more careful and so much more collected than a, a male does, you know, and, and that's what makes them just, I don't know, more interesting people. They, they're like superheroes. They're literally yeah, it's I I I will forever. I mean, I love my dad to bits, and and the things that I've learned and and been taught from and by him are invaluable. And I think I'm I'm incredibly like him in many many ways. But there's there's something about my mom um, that will forever be like that's my mom. You know, like yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. And I think that even people who have contentious or, or complicated relationships with their mother. It, it, I I don't know. I mean, I, I we're painting in such broad strokes here, but you know, I, there there's there's reasons that you know. What I mean, there's there's so, there's so much more to unpack that I think you know you can't unpack with the male. A male has somehow the 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 tendency to to uh, lock things up in a box and throw them away, and uh, somehow. It's not like that with women. I don't know. No matter how many times things get dragged to the trash, the empty trash button just never quite gets pressed. No, yeah, you're you're just, stuck. it's always still there. So then the recently <laughs> deleted folder, it's still, uh, who knows what could yeah. pop up. But did you see the movie Mother? I loved Mother so much. Yes, okay, oh, so I'm not the only so one. Love no, that movie. You know, it took me a second. I was like, once I figured it out, I was like, okay, great. Now I now I know. How I'm on board. Watch. I'm here for it. Like, yeah. let's dive in yeah. for sure. It t it took a little bit, but then once I knew how to watch it, I was totally in. And then like when it just started like imploding and imploding and imploding, I was like, okay, this is so great. I'm I love it so much. I could talk about it forever. And the casting too is so interesting because I would have never, you know, I would have never put. Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem in the same place, let alone as a couple. They're both so, I mean, they're both so phenomenal. I think that the people who shit on that film are the ones who need it the most. And yeah, it's I such an interesting, such an interesting film. And I think that the casting plays such an important role in how successful it is. Yeah. Um, God, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. She's my favorite. Oh my God, Michelle Pfeiffer, dude. <sighs> She so. could, you know, she could step on my toes every day. I would be fine with it. I would still go <laughs> bend down and, and praise the woman. She's really, really great. Actually, I think there was a really fantastic interview with uh, her and um, uh, Darren Aronofsky um, after. Oh, God, that's the director, isn't it? Of Yeah, Other? I think, I think yeah. so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He's, then, he, he, it's a very particular kind of fucked up, you know, and, and Aronofsky definitely has a reputation. Yeah, I think I'm right. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure you are. I'm just looking it up just to make sure that we're not both on camera being very, very wrong about something. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yep, great. Written and directed by. Yep. And he was, she was, you know, getting back to acting a little bit. She was saying, he's like, you're, he's like, you're so beautiful. Everyone knows you're so beautiful. You've been beautiful since the day the world laid eyes on you. And he's like, I know in our discussions, you were insecure about being an actor. And, and do you think finally you are, you know, you feel like you've earned it? And she's like, that, that's so true. Like throughout most of my life, you know, I, she, I started working young and I, I was learning as I was going. And I thought at any moment, someone's gonna go, no, she's a fraud, she's a fraud. And I think that the choices in films that she's made over the years are so interesting. One of my most favorite movies is What Lies Beneath. Ooh, in like the sort very of hockey kind of early 2000s with Harrison Ford. God, we oh, love God. those movies. You know, there's yeah, a. There's I love it. I mean, because, you know, it's not something you haven't ever seen before. Like Lady Bird. Oh my God, what a fantastic, beautiful film. What oh, about yeah. a teenage girl who's kind of offbeat and unpopular going through high school? I've never seen that movie before, but how beautifully <laughs> it was told. Oh, like what a fresh approach for it, these the performances of these people, they, they bring it to life in a different way. Absolutely. Um, those um, things, all the above turns me on. <laughs> love that, love that, including Michelle Pfeiffer. Turns, <laughs> so much. And, and I'm talking sexually now. I'm kidding, okay, <laughs> all right. Um, what is your idea of happiness? Oh gosh, my idea of happiness. That's well, to me, happiness is like momentary. I think that actually another friend was putting together a questionnaire just for fun for her friends. And she said, and she's like, pretend I'm a child and explain the difference between like joy and something else or whatever. And I was saying to me, joy is what happens after sadness. Everyone starts life happy. I don't know anything else, right? I'm just happy. I'm, 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 I'm happy to be here. And then something happens to you and it registers as unwelcome, I'm hungry or whatever. And it becomes more complicated as, as life goes on. And so you eventually become not sad again, but this time it's not fully happy. You know, now it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not sad again. And now I don't want to be sad again. So things are good until you get to that next sad thing. Mm. So joy is always the aftermath of sadness. So I think most of our lives we find we are we are, we have joy. You know, it's it, you you have to come from a place of despair in order to have happiness again. And the in between is joy. Things are joyful. Happy is unadulterated, in my opinion. Happy is pure. There is nothing in the way of it. It's not because of or born out of anything. It just is. I am happy. I can't think about what's behind me. I can't think about what's in front of me, only what I'm in in the here and now. So what was the question? <laughs> I, I, I do kind of like paint kind of like in, in broad generalizations more than I do say happiness is um, uh, a beagle and his, what is that from Charlie Brown? <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm French, yeah. man. You can't ask me, you can't ask me cult American classic <laughs> cultural questions. Like oh, what is this? Frere Jacques and the Little Prince, but. Uh... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sort of like happiness to me is like a, an idea, like I can describe it more and more in a definition. No, like but that's a, so interesting because it's so funny, you know, those moments where you realize that you 
haven't had your mind on bad things for a while. You know, like you, like you're like, it's a Sunday and, and all of a sudden you check your phone and you're like, oh, I've been sitting here for the past three hours, just enjoying this beautiful warmth that I can feel this like sun beaming down on me and this conversation with friends and this amazing, like, you don't even realize that you're enjoying all of these things until you're like, snap back to reality. Oh, I've been having such a great time and being so happy. Um, That's such an interesting and very, you know, very real way of looking at it. I think it's, that really is how it happens. It's important that that definition also takes into account that the lows are just important as the highs. Right. Right. I, I think I always think of the song Joy to the World. It's like you, you like something I'm not religious at all, but, you know, some, something new and wonderful has arrived. A beacon of light, this this thing to celebrate. You can't have that without having something to celebrate the end of. I'm, you know, we are coming out of darkness. Our bad days are over. Happy days are here again. You know what I mean? This, it's joy joy to the world, bring them joy. You know, there's something beautiful coming. And so, you know, put down your load of, and, 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 and rise up, you know. Right, it's cliche to say, but all good things must come to an end. Much like, unfortunately, this conversation will at some point if my, (laughs) you know, mouth ever ceases to make sound. Same, I'm so (laughs) long-winded. But I love that about you, you know, it really, it, it, it allows for interesting, you know, like there are things that you said that you wouldn't have said if you were a very direct person that then caused a whole other line of conversation that I probably find more interesting than like the core, you know. That, that path less walked kind of thing. Is there a profession other than your own that you would like to attempt or that you would be doing if you didn't do what you do? It would have to be in the industry. I would, lo- I would like to direct. I mean, I've never, I, I guess I, that's where I use it. I use it as a casting director in my day-to-day life in giving notes and adjustments in the room. Um, I've never professionally a- a directed um, a production. I'm, if, I'm pretty sure... I could do it for theater and know what I'm doing and like capably do it. I'm, I would think that I'd be able to apply those skills to television and filmmaking. For Definitely a lot more moving parts when a director or film and television. Yeah, exactly. There's an understanding of filmmaking itself that mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. I would have so, so much to learn. Um, but I think I, I can certainly direct actors. So I would love to apply that to a, a project one day. If you could choose only one book or story or script, but as long as it's like, you know, a story, if you could only choose one to read for the rest of your life, what would it be? I just want to say for the record that you didn't give this to me ahead of time. And I already know the answer and the answer is Charlotte's Web. Really? Because that was, it's immediate. I already know. That's you know, that, it's a beautiful story to me. That's such an interesting choice. You, well, what's your favorite? I would, you know, it's funny because, and I'm, I just recently, I just mentioned it, and it's something that I, for a very long time, forgot about, which is The Little Prince, which, which, for me, you know, was read to me by my mom every night before going to bed, every night until I was whatever age, until I was like, okay, we get it, like The Little Prince, okay, cool. And when I was a kid, I had my Little Prince rose-scented cologne, you know, that I wore. Oh my God. And... I think that so much of who I am as a person is predicated upon the ideas that that story presents of, of remaining a child at heart, of, of, of finding the joy, finding the fun in, in life, and in never letting the, uh, the adultness of growing up 
get in the way of taking advantage of how beautiful of an opportunity and a gift it is to to be breathing, to be alive, you know, yeah. to be on 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 this rock that we call Earth. I'm curious why Charlotte's Web. Oh God, it's it's one of those, you know, I mean, that's why I love animation because it simplifies, you know, the core parts of humanity. I mean, Charlotte is like Charlotte, Charlotte's the mother. Marshall's the ultimate mother. God, I, I got I could go really on and on. I I, I it I mean, I, there are a lot of nostalgic reasons. Um, I, you know, growing up, we had, uh, my brother and I shared a room from the day I was brought home to the hospital, from the hospitals the day I moved to New York. No and, way, wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. We had Both two beds twins. or are we talking? Twin beds. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, we would sit in between them and just read. All the books were in a case underneath each of the beds. We'd pull them out and we'd go through and that, you know, the 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 three that the E. B. White trilogy well not really a trilogy but the, those three Stuart Little, the Trumpet oh. of the Swan, and Charlotte's Web I just I associate when it's hard to say it's hard to have favorites favorites to me you associate their favorites not even just because they're great but because they they you associate them with the time or your identity at the time who you were that kind of thing it's hard for me to do that with movies and television because the only ones I really visit time and time again are like holiday films, you know? Otherwise I don't really watch the same movie over and over and over again. I don't right. watch the same series over and over, you know, you catch a couple episodes on TV if it's in syndication, but I don't revisit in that way. Like you do music, music is that for me. Charlotte's Web is, there's so many lines in that. There's so many, there's actually, there's like someone, my mother has a book called Salutations because that's one of the ways that Charlotte always greets Wilbur. And uh, it's a bunch of uh, like life lessons that all the, you know, you learn from all the, you know, from whether it's Templeton the Rat or from Charlotte or from, oh God, I can't remember the girl's name. Something like Lucy or Annie or something. Yeah, I feel like it's like April or something. Oh God, I can't remember. Um, you know, it's a farm name. It's American farm. Right, name. right, right. <laughs> Sally. Um, <laughs> I, God, I can't remember. But you, you, there, it, there's just so many like little life lessons. Winnie the Pooh has a lot of those. It's like, yeah. you, that's, and again, why I love animation because it's for children, but you go back later and so much of it is for adults. And that's a beautiful thing because it stays with you. That's the whole point of it. You think about it and say, I loved that when I was little because you have an unadulterated you know, memory of it. It, it, was, it, was, it was pleasing to you. It looked pretty. It was funny. Um, you dressed up as one of the characters for Halloween. And you're like, why did that speak so much to me? And because it's so universal in nature, yeah. you revisit it as an adult and you say, that's why. Because now I've learned those lessons. Yeah, it's like Picasso who very famously, you know, doodled almost as a child in his latest years and when people said well that's easy a child could do that he would say to them yes but it's the fact that after an entire life lived and all the misery and trauma that comes with growing up and living a life and being an adult that that you can still be in touch with your inner child so much as to doodle yes images that may upon first glance seem very childish or basic but that have a ton of nuance and wisdom beneath it, which is what I love so much about The Little Prince. And I, I just rewatched the, the, the modern Netflix reimagining that they, that they recently put out, I think in the last five years. You know, like as an actor, I'm always like, oh, let me like write the next script or whatever that I can act in. That's gonna be like this big story. Like, and then you watch this and you're like, this is a kid 
with a fox going from planet to planet, like yeah. catch, catching stars. And you're just like, there's something so basic and childlike, yes, but with such heart and such wisdom behind it that and, and plus because it's so because it is for kids it's simplified in such a way that like anyone would understand it you could you could put it on mute and you would get what's happening because it's because it's just that basic you know, sure. and, and it's it's boiling down what what are otherwise incredibly very difficult and 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 very conceptual ideas into you know yeah very basic yeah. john leonard said something in like his last interview for rolling stone with rolling stone he was like i'm gonna paraphrase it. i have no interest in like kowtowing to some sort of critical elite i want to say i want to say the greatest thing to the most amount of people something to that effect he was speaking about you know universality in the in you know the messages that he was trying to create and that's that's we have niche programming for everyone now. You know, it's nice to be able to um, have something near and dear that speaks to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And as no, you know, you don't have to be part of that club or that community to get it. Totally. That's been proven with, you know, shows like, even shows like, like Queer Eye, which are, are, are barely narrative. Like, not, how can you not love that show? It's just like, it is very specific to a culture, yes, but also it's just like humans being human to other humans. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's just so wholesome. I can't not cry. You know, yeah. Tom yeah. and his wife, Lisa, are going to be so happy now that he dresses <laughs> so well, you know? Right, totally. Um, yeah, it's for so, you, it's for me, it's for everyone. Exactly. So, you know, we can we can lump this in with this last question, or I'm going to ask it anyways, who is your favorite hero or heroine? But that might be Charlotte. That might be attached oh, to Charlotte. Great. Oh, I don't. Oh, my favorite hero and heroine. Jeez. Oh God, I don't know. Proust's answer was Hamlet. If that um, inspires yeah. you in any way, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever. No, I mean, again, like when it, favorites to me, like it's always got, it comes down to something that's been with me for a long time. Well, there's something, there is something like interesting, like about meeting, and I'm sure you get this all the time. I mean, you meet tons of celebrities. You've read, like you said, with, with, you know, with celebrities right there, like in the flesh, you've been so close to them. And at, at some point you gotta, you gotta get numb to that. You know what I mean? To like, oh yeah, I'm Jennifer Aniston. How you doing? Oh, it's good to see you. Did you have coffee this morning? <laughs> no, cool. Okay, whatever. You're just, yeah. there's those celebrities that you were in love with as a kid. If, if I ever saw Jim Carrey in the flesh, I would shit myself, you know what I mean? But like someone that I started liking more recently, someone like Jack Nicholson, I, you know, I didn't know about until I was you know, 16 or 17. For some reason, there's something about the, the things and the people that you love and as a kid, like, you know what I mean? That make you just want to like jump behind your mom's skirt and like, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> like what you said, like there's something when you're, yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, you know what, I think, I think that's why the answer would probably be fictional because we're all people, we're all just flawed. And that's why, you know, I, I, tr I, I really, I don't, I don't really have idols. I have like one idol, you know, and I, I, anyone else, I'm just uh, so appreciative of the greatness that they've shared with the rest of us, knowing full well that there's probably plenty that's not so great and pl plenty that's unattractive about them. I try not to put people on a pedestal, but fictional characters, that's why they're there. Yeah, that is why they're there. Who is your, who's your one idol, if you don't mind me asking? My one idol is Madonna. She's, yeah, 
deserves I mean, it. And then, and it goes back to everything we said about being a mother too. And then also just like being the giant middle finger to so many things that, and so many causes that can be taken up now because there was one person who put herself on the line and threw herself in the fire for everybody else. I mean, there's a fin some of her interviews from, from the late 80s, early 90s are just so incredible. And like, if people were to do that today, if any celebrity was to have that kind of, they would be dragged canceled. across canceled. the world. I hate cancel culture. Absolutely. So I completely agree with you. Completely non-human to cancel people. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's it negates you know, all listening and negates one of the most important aspects of humanity, which is forgiveness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Forgiveness. You know, it's one thing not to forget, but right. if you never forget Right, exactly. Learn from it. But people are people are flawed. You, you find out why. You know, what's the point? What's the point of punishing anybody if the if the, the point is not to learn from it? Especially when very commonly said, but I think very oftentimes goes misunderstood or, or or discounted which is that we learn from failure you know what i mean exactly like people say all the time oh yeah failure is so poor i love failure but like are you but like do you though because like it seems like when someone fails you're like you're really quick to be like oh you failed you failed forever you've always failed exactly right you know repeat offenders is one thing you know but you just right off the bat like we can't you follow this person so you are that my cancel you too you know what i mean anyway that's why she's my idol because without her there you know someone had to someone had to start a lot of conversations that we're still having today that yeah. she's that she began we'll, we'll make her your favorite heroine how about that i love that great as a final final question and this is truly the, the last one for for two non-religious dudes to talk about if heaven did exist and there was a god and you were to you know die and and you know oh, welcome to heaven thank you thank you for being here better that than the other option what would you like for god to say to you when you know you walk up to the pearly gates and you're there and anything can come out of that entity's mouth what would you what would you wish for that to be well from another one of my most favorite stories both as a book and as movie babe i hope god will just say that'll do damn wow well <laughs> there is truly no better way to end this interview than than saying that'll do yeah <laughs> so much nick if there's anything that you'd like the audience to be aware of that you're working on next or that you're excited for or any shows or movies or plays that you want them to go see or go watch yeah. otherwise well so you know i think i think um City on a Hill kind of flew under the radar with the sort of summer release last year. It was supposed to follow Homeland. Homeland was supposed to be the, the lead-in for City, so people would stick around afterward. Right. Um, but Homeland's like, schedule got pushed, like I said, which is why it's on the air now. So I think kind of like uh, flew under the radar over the summertime. While you're home, 10 episodes, give it a watch. It unpacks Easy binge. a lot. Easy the, binge. Second, the second season that we're working on now that we're in the middle of filming, was it's really wonderful. And the acting is just superb. So uh, give that give that a watch while you're all at home. And um, let's hope some of these uh, plays and things that I have in the works are uh, will all uh, find themselves in the boards sometime in 2021. Well, I can't wait. I'm very excited to you know hopefully get to go into a theater soon and yeah. see those. 
And um, I will definitely check out City on a Hill. I urge everybody watching and listening to do the same. Nick, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure for me and such an honor to have you on the first episode of this show. Thank you. Have a lovely evening. Everybody tune in, you know, to Inside the Casting Office soon for our next episode and our next deep dive into casting professionals, the work that they do and how they do it. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. This is, this is so lovely.